Hi, everybody. I'm Carl Darden, and I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining us today on Navy Sports Central. I'm your host, and this is the official podcast of the Navy Sports Nation, where we take a deeper dive into Navy sports. In this episode, we'll take a look at the Mid's huge win over Army and Mental Cross and what that means for the postseason. And we're also going to check out how things are shaping up for the Navy football team now that spring practices are all done, and we'll be starting with the quarterback position. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Navy Sports Central. If you are a returning listener, thanks for joining us again. And if this is your first time checking us out, we certainly hope it won't be the last. There's lots to get through today, so first we're going to get you all caught up on what's going on with the Navy spring sports season. And we're going to go ahead and start with the annual Army-Navy Star competition. If you go back a little over two months ago, the mids were actually sitting on a 2-4 and four record going into the last three meets of the winter. And the, the ones that were left were wrestling and men's and women's indoor track. So the mids ended up winning all three of those. And that gave them the momentum that they needed because Navy went head-to-head against Army in 10 sports this spring with the star on the line, and they came out on top in seven of them. So now they're up 12-7 to with only baseball left on the schedule. Now, the biggest of those seven wins had to be the men's lacrosse team taking down the Black Knights this past weekend in Annapolis. I'm definitely going to go into that game a little bit more in our deep dive segment. The uh, other teams that won a star this spring were the women's lacrosse team, which we covered in our first podcast. And then that was followed by the men's and women's swimming and diving teams, which was a meet that was rescheduled from the wintertime. And then finally, the men's and women's outdoor track and field teams and men's tennis teams also picked up wins against Army. And uh, by the way, even though it didn't count towards a star competition, the men's tennis team actually won the Patriot League championship by beating Army again over the weekend. And at the same time, the women's golf team took home their first league title as well. Now we'll go ahead and move on to women's lacrosse. Uh, They won their third straight game by beating American University 20 to 13. So right now they are seven and three and they have one game left on the schedule against Bucknell. The uh, women's tennis team finished the regular season at 5-3, and three, and they're actually going to be hosting the Patriot League tournament in Annapolis, which, which actually starts today, as a matter of fact. In baseball, the mids are in second place in their division behind Lehigh, and they've got a big three-game series coming up against the Mountain Hawks this weekend. Now, last weekend, the mids split a four-game series against Holy Cross, and they've been doing okay, but they haven't quite regained that early season form, which had them winning like their first seven games of the season. But things are still pretty wide open. Right now, I'd say any one of five teams can probably come away with the league championship if they put things together at the right time. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with a quick note about the uh, Navy rowing teams. The lightweights and heavyweights, as well as the women's team, are all rounding into form as they get ready for their respective championships. Right now, the heavyweights are ranked in the top 10, and they've got George Washington and Holy Cross coming up this weekend. The uh, lightweight team finished up their regular season with a nice win over Virginia, and they'll spend the next four weeks getting ready for the IRA championships in New Jersey. And finally, the women will be getting set to defend their Patriot League title in a couple of weeks, and that will be followed by the NCAA championships at the end of May. So that does it for the spring sports update. Time for a short break, and when we return, we're going to take a closer look at Navy's big win over Army and lacrosse. Trust me, this is going to be fun. Okay, we are back, and as we start to break down this year's Army-Navy lacrosse game, I can tell you that historically they tend to follow the same formula. First, they're really, really exciting. you got players flying around on both sides of the field, and it can get pretty physical too. And second, these games are typically close. Most of the time they go down to the last few minutes, 
And in fact, two of the last three games have been decided in overtime. So here's how this year's game was shaping up. Army was ranked 10th in the country, and currently they're in first place in the Patriot League North Division. And Navy had climbed back into the top 20 following their win over Loyola. And the Mids found out one more piece of good news a couple of days before the game. Initially, the Patriot League had only planned on taking the top two teams from each division into the playoffs. But midweek, they decided to expand that to three teams from each division. And with the Mids sitting in third place, they are in really good shape to earn that last spot with one more game left on their schedule. Now, it has been two years since these teams last met, and that was a heartbreaker for the Mids. They ended up losing 9-8 to eight in overtime. And, of course, last year's game was canceled due to the pandemic. So, in reality, what you have here is both the freshman and sophomore classes with no Army-Navy game experience. So, here's what I knew going in. First of all, I knew it was going to be an exciting game. Uh, no question about that. But Army was ranked fifth in the nation in scoring defense. They allow less than nine goals per game. And they are also the bigger team physically. So I had to figure that the mids were going to be considered underdogs in this one. But as I always say, they don't play the game on paper. And when the final horn sounded, the mids had come away with a convincing 9-4 to win. I mean, they were in control the whole time. I actually recorded the game and watched it twice. So let's go ahead and take a look and see how they did it. This game was all about Navy limiting Army's opportunities while making the most of theirs, and the plan on defense was designed to take Army attackman Brendan Nickturn out of the game as much as possible. Nickturn is the Army captain, and the entire offense runs through him. He averages over five points a game, which ranks him eighth in the country. So the mids did two things. First, they put defenseman Nick Franchuk on Nickturn, and he's one of Navy's best on-ball defenders. The second thing that Navy defensive coordinator John Orson made sure of was to have defensemen hedging from the wings ready to double-team Nick Turn if he tried to dodge past his guy to get to the cage. From there, the defense just needed to be on the same page as to where the second and third slides would come from in case Nick Turn did connect on a pass. So the mids drilled on this the entire week leading up to the game. That game plan couldn't have worked out much better. Uh, Franchuk shut Nick Turn down completely. He held him to no goals, no assists, and he forced him into three turnovers. And in the meantime, the rest of the mids' defense just smothered Army's offense. On a number of occasions, they were able to knock down passes that seemed headed for cutting midfielders looking to score. I I can't remember the last time I saw the mids' defense play so well as a unit for the entire game. And quarterbacking the whole effort was senior goalkeeper Spencer Reese. He came up with a career-high 19 saves and a terrific performance. I mean, he did it all. He stopped shots from long range while denying them in close. He also stole a couple passes coming across the crease that frustrated Army even more. So Navy's experienced defense did their job in limiting Army's opportunities. Now they just needed to make the most of theirs. And it all started with clearing the ball out of their zone. The mids were successful 29 straight times clearing the ball before a meaningless turnover near the end of the game broke that streak. And Navy was also quicker to the ground balls. They had a 37-28 advantage there, and several of those came in front of their own cage after a re-save, which basically denied Army a second-chance opportunity. And then the other category where the mids had an advantage was in face-offs, where they won 10 of 17 draws. So when you look at the clearing game, the ground balls, the face-offs, they dominated in all these areas, which allowed them to control the pace, and that allowed them to get into their 6-on-6 game. From there, they did a great job of winning their individual matchups and getting the defense to rotate to the ball before hitting a teammate for an open shot. Now, here's what I thought was interesting. On defense, it was Navy's experience that got the job done. And on offense, the scoring came from guys who had seen little or no time at all in an Army-Navy game. The offensive star of the game was senior midfielder Joe DeLira. He was actually on the scout team just a couple of weeks ago. But you never know it. I mean, (laughs) he ended up scoring three goals 
And the uh, the first one was a thing of beauty. Delira came open when the army defense rotated over to shut off Nick Cole's drive to the cage, and Cole found him with a beautiful pass. Delira was about 18 yards out from the left side and just cranked a laser right past the army goalie that found the top right corner. That thing had to be going at least 90 to 95 miles an hour. Now, Delira's second goal extended the mids lead to 5-2 to two after the Black Knights had cut into the lead in the second quarter. Now, this time it was an unsettled situation in front of the Army cage, and nobody on the Black Knights put a body on him. The ball was just loose there, so Delira just scooped it up and just dumped it into the goal before anybody realized what happened. So the two teams traded goals going into the fourth quarter, and with about five minutes left to go in the game, it was uh, 6-3 to three Navy. Now, I'm feeling pretty good at this point, but I'm still not putting this one in the win column because I know that Army can score in bunches, and there was still plenty of time left. But Delira ended any hope of a comeback when he took another pass from Cole on a very, very similar play and torched the Army goalie again, this time with a shot lower left, but it was going just as fast. And when uh, when he scored that one, you could just see all the life go right out of the entire Army squad. Um, that was basically it for them. In addition to Delira's three goals, Matt Hewitt and James Flannery chipped in with two apiece, while John Jarris and Dane Swanson each had one. So Navy scoring came from a senior who had been on the scout team a couple weeks ago, three freshmen, and a sophomore. I guess experience is always good, but based on this game, I'd say that having guys who weren't afraid to step up in a big moment works just as well. This was a great team win, and it came on senior day, which made it all that much better. Okay, time to take a breather. We'll be back in a little bit to take our first look at the 2021 Navy football team, so stick around. All right, thanks for staying with us on the Navy Sports Central podcast. Carl Darden back with you, and the Navy football team is the topic of conversation in part two of our deep dive segment. Over the next few months, we'll be evaluating the offense, defense, and special teams so we can get an idea of how things look going into the season, and today we're going to start with the quarterbacks. Now, anyone who followed the mids last year knows that the team never really settled on a quarterback. Uh, The problems began when the pandemic wiped out spring practices, and that's usually when the quarterbacks put in the most time learning the offense. From there, it was pretty much all downhill. The offense used five different quarterbacks during the season, and that's never a good sign. Uh, Dalen Morris led the Miz to their only three wins. Now, he was a really good passer, and he made good decisions when it came to ball security. In fact, he led the Miz to their biggest comeback win over Tulane in the second game of the season. But he was never a real threat to run. He just didn't have that explosiveness that made him dangerous. And that really limited Navy's options. In the triple option, to be effective, you need to have a lot of good run production from the quarterback position. And in 2020, all five signal callers gained a total of 320 yards for the entire year. Now, just to give you some perspective... Malcolm Perry gained 304 yards against Army alone on his way to piling up 2017 yards for the 2019 season. So basically, the mids were pretty much in the hurt locker in 2020 when it came to the quarterback, but I'm confident things will be a lot better this year. For each quarterback, I'm going to tell you everything I know based on the reports coming out of spring practice. I'll also let you know what I've seen in the way of video on YouTube. And then we'll go over the things that make each guy a potential good fit for the job. So let's go ahead and get started with uh, Xavier Arline. He's the one we're probably most familiar with. Arline is listed at 5'9", 165 pounds. That's actually pretty close to where Malcolm Perry checked in his freshman year. But Perry added about another 25 pounds by the time he was a senior. And I have a feeling that Arline will probably need to do the same. If for nothing else, just as a matter of survival. He does have the most experience in this year's group of quarterbacks, but it's by no means a done deal. All four quarterbacks bring something to the table. And according to quarterback coach Ivan Jasper, everyone is going to get their fair share of reps during the spring. 
And here's something the coaching staff made everyone aware of before spring practices even started. Usually during spring practice, the starting quarterback wears that green do not touch jersey so that nobody lays a hand on him. Obviously, that's just to eliminate any kind of chance of serious injury. But the coaching staff let everybody know that during the spring sessions, all the quarterbacks would be exposed to full contact. There are a lot of questions that need to get answered this time around since last year they didn't have a spring practice. And one of them is going to be how these quarterbacks react under duress. So basically what's going to happen is that nobody's going to be wearing that jersey until someone has established himself as the clear front runner for the job. Now let's go ahead and get back to our line. Uh, he's got the speed and instincts to be a real running threat. Uh, there's a lot of good video on him from his high school playing days on Long Island. And, uh, of course, in the Army game, you'll recall that he did go for 112 yards on 17 carries. And he broke off one of those runs for 52 yards, so he does have big play potential. And according to the coaches, Arline has also demonstrated that leadership necessary to take charge in the huddle as well. So the two big questions left are, does he make good decisions with the football on a regular basis? And can he develop into a good enough passer to keep the defenses honest? And the bottom line is Arline only threw the ball 12 times all season. He completed four of them for a total of 27 yards, with the longest one going for 14. So for him to be effective, he's probably going to have to put the ball in the air at least 8 to 12 times with good results. Otherwise, the defenses are just going to stack the box to keep him from running the ball and dare him to throw. And that doesn't usually work out too well for the mids if they're not being productive through the air. So the things that Arline has working in his favor are his experience, number one. Obviously, he's got the most playing time. He's got really good running instincts. He sees the field well. And according to the coaches, he's got that leadership X factor that can make a difference in a huddle. And I think the thing that would probably make him an even better candidate, obviously, is if his passing skills were able to be further developed during the spring and into the fall as well. Okay, next up in our review of the quarterbacks is Masai Maynard. He is a six foot, 190 pound junior from North Brunswick, New Jersey. And he is the only other quarterback of the four besides uh, our line that has seen any kind of action. And that was last year against Air Force after the game was long decided. He got the offense down the field in pretty good shape, actually, showing some nice running ability and also throwing the ball as well. Unfortunately, that particular drive ended with a turnover. So I was on YouTube looking for some video of Maynard, and I did find some from when he played at St. Peter's Prep. And one particular clip showed a big win where he threw for two scores and ran for a couple of more, including the winner in overtime. And one of the things I noticed in a couple of other clips that I saw is that this kid is a tough, tough runner. I mean, in, in one particular game, he basically took on a linebacker at about the one-yard line and ran right over him to get into the end zone. Now, the coaches really like Maynard's throwing ability. He's been compared to Ricky Dobbs in terms of both arm strength and accuracy, and it looks like he could be good enough to jumpstart the running game from the quarterback position as well. As far as feedback from Coach Jasper, he indicated that Maynard has made some huge strides since last year. He's a lot more vocal in the uh, meeting rooms, and it's just a matter of him establishing himself as a leader and developing more confidence at the position. That's what's going to be really the key determinant on whether or not he is successful in earning that starting job. Now, I mentioned earlier that the cancellation of spring practices really hurt the mids, and in terms of quarterback development, it probably impacted Masai Maynard and Ty Levitai the most. Levitai is a rising sophomore now, and he is by far the biggest of the Navy quarterbacks. He checks in at six foot two and 220 pounds, so he's quite a load. Coach Jasper wants him to probably drop about 5 to 10 pounds, but he did comment that Levitai runs really well for a guy his size. He's light on his feet, and again, he sees the field really well. Now, most of the video on Levitai shows him throwing the ball since he came from a pro-style offense, but there's enough film on him running the ball to show that he's pretty good at it. As far as the feedback goes from the coaches, Jasper described Levitai as a complete all-around player, 
And their main thing is they just want to get him a bunch of live reps to see how well he executes the offense. Coach Jasper believes that Lavatai has all the tools to be a really, really good quarterback. He just needs to be able to put everything together. Now, the uh, fourth guy in this group of Navy quarterbacks is Jaden Umbarger, and he's actually from Archbishop Spalding High School right up the road in Baltimore. He went to Naps with Lavatai, but got hurt early on, so he didn't really play all that much. And his development when he got to Annapolis was kind of messed up, obviously, because of the COVID protocols. And also, the one thing I didn't mention was the junior varsity season got canceled last year. So both of those guys didn't have a chance to develop whereas they otherwise would. But clearly, uh, Umbarger's high school resume and his potential for both running and throwing the ball have impressed the coaches enough to give him a shot at the starting job. And the video I've seen seems to back that up. He's uh, pretty versatile, too, because in addition to playing quarterback in high school, he also played safety. Now, uh, one thing's for sure, whoever winds up getting that starting role will have clearly earned it on the practice field, because I already mentioned that all of them will be subject to full contact until one of them separates themselves enough to be named the starter. And their performance against Coach Newberry's defense will be the best indicator of what kind of success they're going to potentially have on the field. Because any quarterback who can halfway figure out what that guy throws at him definitely needs to be under center when Navy opens the season against Marshall. All four of these quarterbacks have the potential to lead the Navy offense, but it all comes down to how well they understand the triple option. So these are the kind of questions that need to be answered. Can they make the right pre-snap reads? If the defense tries to confuse them, can they get the mids into the right play? And if they do get crossed up, do they have the instincts and athletic ability to minimize the damage or even break off a big play? The uh, coaches hope to have the answers to most of these questions by the time they come out with a depth chart on Monday, so we'll see how that goes. Personally, I'm good with any of those guys, assuming he's proven to the coaches that he can do the job. But I've got to tell you that Ty Levitai really has me curious. This guy's got size, he's quick on his feet, and he throws the ball really well. If he shows that he's got a good handle on a triple option, he could be fun to watch. So that is our look at the potential Navy quarterbacks. I am already looking forward to the preseason practices. And in our next episode, we're going to break down the offensive line. This was an area where the Mids really struggled last season. But the word coming out of spring camp is that this year's group of offensive linemen has a chance to be among the best ever. All right, we'll be back with our question of the day right after we take this quick break. All right, welcome back, everybody. Before I get to the question of the day for this episode, I wanted to revisit the one from our last conversation with Navy strength and conditioning coach Brian Fitzpatrick. And by the way, if you haven't had a chance to check that out yet, I'll leave a link in the show notes. The conversation with Coach Fitzpatrick starts at about the 4.15 mark. So the question I put out a couple of weeks ago was, what is your wearable technology of choice? Uh, Back in 2006, I was looking to kind of shake up my workout routine So I actually committed to running my first Marine Corps marathon with my brother-in-law, and I needed something basic to help keep track of my progress. So I went out and got this uh, GPS made by Garmin. It was basically state-of-the-art at the time. It was a little bit bulky, but it had everything I needed. Um, One of my favorite features, actually, was this little digital running guy who would maintain whatever pace you programmed into the device, and they could track your progress against that pace throughout either your race or the workout. That device is obsolete now, but now I have a Garmin smartwatch, and it does pretty much the same stuff in addition to tracking steps, and that also links up to my iPhone. And like everything else, all the workouts and the races can be uploaded to the cloud. So I'm still curious about what some of you guys use to track your workouts. I use the Garmin because it's easy, but I'm always interested in new stuff, so feel free to text or voicemail me if you feel like it to let me know what you use. Now as far as this week's question goes, it's directly related to our discussion on the quarterbacks. 
Since Navy fully committed to the triple option when Coach Johnson arrived nearly, I guess, 20 years ago, back in 2001, there's been a little bit of debate as to what kind of quarterback is the best fit. So there's a couple different ways to go there. First of all, do you take a running quarterback and coach him up to be an adequate passer? Or is it better to go with a passing quarterback who has decent running skills? There are examples of both types of quarterbacks being successful running the triple option since it's been used at Navy, but I'd like to get your take, and you can do that by calling 623-282-4896. Again, that's 623-282-4896. You can leave a voicemail, or you can also text me as well. Either way, I'll share your response on the next podcast. Okay, we are getting into the home stretch here, so we'll be right back after a short break to check in with our athletes on the uh, mid-watch. Okay, we are back, and now let's see what's going on with our athletes on the mid-watch. We will start with Nicole Victory from the women's lacrosse team. She had a monster game last week when the Mids beat American University 20-13. It was actually tied at 7 before Navy went on a 9-0 run to take control of the game. Victory had a goal and an assist in that stretch, and she finished with 3 goals and 4 assists on the day. So that gives her 24 goals and 14 assists on the year for a total of 38 points, and she leads the team in all three of those categories. And it turns out that the midseason may not be over yet after all, uh, since the Patriot League decided to expand the tournament this year to six teams instead of the original four, the mids still have a chance to grab that number three spot in the division if they can beat Bucknell tomorrow night. So be sure to check that out on ESPN Plus if you happen to have a subscription. Next, we'll check to see what's going on with Navy baseball pitcher Charlie Connolly. Uh, he had a tough outing last time out against Lehigh, and that was back on April the 10th. Conley didn't figure in the decision, so he still has a 3-1 record, but he hasn't pitched in nearly three weeks. No word on whether or not he was injured, but I'll definitely look into it. Besides this big series coming up this weekend against Lehigh, the Mids still have Army left on the schedule, so it, it sure would be nice to have Conley back for that one. Okay, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Navy Sports Central. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, if you like what you heard, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and go ahead and spread the word to all the other Navy fans out there. Remember to get back to us on our question of the day. You can do that by calling 623-282-4896. Again, that's 623-282-4896. And feel free to leave a voicemail or a text message. One quick reminder, the views expressed on Navy Sports Central are my own and do not represent those of the U.S. Naval Academy or Navy Athletics. And by the way, the music used on the Navy Sports Central podcast comes to you courtesy of Audio Jungle. This is a great source for purchasing the rights to use music from thousands of artists around the world, and those we feature in this podcast will be credited in the show notes. Talk to you soon, everybody. Until next time, my name is Carl Darden. Go Navy, beat Army.